All right, it's a Thursday night, so that means it's a Mando night coming up. Well, Pat Wilson and I chat. The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 3, The Convert. Could be taken a couple different ways as to whom that is referring to from this episode. We have a nice little chat, including a wonderful anecdote from Wilson uh, about his experiences going to see The Empire Strikes Back uh, when it was re-released back in the late 90s. So... Stay tuned for that. All of that is coming up next. This is the way. All right. Welcome to Coruscant in a galaxy far, far away. My old pal Wilson is here, and we are both here to discuss The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, titled The Convert, a.k.a. the episode where The Mandalorian did its best Andor impression. What would you think of this one? I honestly enjoyed it because I thought it was such a great episode. I know that there was a lot of like split with fans about how they didn't like how it was not much of another Mando adventure, but I like the fact that it kind of resembled Andor. It had that grittiness to it. Um, it had another subplot that I think is the overall story for season three that was what was weird with this one it was you know that it went uh when um mando and Bo and uh grogu jump into hyperspace i thought they ended up on coruscant and the episode kind of gives you a little um it kind of throws you for a loop in the fact that the, the the whole episode is bookended by those that trio but the middle 45 minutes has nothing to do with them. Right. I just felt like I wanted, there was, they've teased us in the preview about Dr. Pearson and what was going to happen with his storyline. And like the fact that you see him in that little um, vehicle riding around Coruscant in the preview, we saw that exact scene in this episode. Like they took a lot from this episode and put it into the preview for season three. And so it paid off. And I think they're going to try to tie in um, the storyline or story arc with the Bad Batch. And mm. they're going to use the Rise of Skywalker. And all this is going to come together. And it's going to make sense to the fan base now that we've seen these other projects. And it's all going to just tie in together. So I'm interested to see how, what, how this plays out. But I was not disappointed with this episode at all. Like I, I, it was a break from the um, action, action in your face to just more of a storyline. I mean, yes, it was a little slow for about thirty minutes or so, and I even dozed off for a split second. Oh no! For a long day, I know. I know. My wife. <laughs> I was tired. I was tired too last night, man. Yeah, like Tori, like he's like, dude, you're sleeping. I was like, no, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. And it was right <laughs> when it was right when um, Doctor Piercing. And Kale were walking towards the uh, Star Destroyer. I dozed off for a split second. Ooh, but that was a good little. That was a good little point. But it was I should hey episode. hey I should get into. I, I didn't do it at the top, but here we go. I'm going to do the little Mando rundown. So do it. All right. Once Din awakens after falling under in the mines of Mandalore, Bo questions him about whether he saw anything underwater. As they're flying back, a group of Tie fighters attack Bo and Din. At which point, Din leaps off Bo's ship and back on his own in an epic maneuver before blowing up an attacking ship. Bo's home palace is blown up before she and Mando hyperspace jump. 
We cut to a riveting speech in the Senate by Dr. Pershing talking about cloning before cutting to Pershing's meeting up with other Amnesty housing residents, including one he recognizes from Moff Gideon's ship. The two develop a bond, and after developing an aversion to mundane life working for the Republic, Pershing and his comrade come up with a plan to get Pershing a new station for his cloning research. While on a mission for a lab for the doctor, the two are ambushed, and Alia Kane, as she is revealed, double-crosses Pershing for the tech. She ends up at upping the intensity of Pershing's brainwashing program before we cut to Bowen Din coming out of that hyperspace to the con to the covert of the children of the watch. They're accepted by Paz Vizla. The armor reveals that Mando is redeemed and Bo after bathing in the living waters herself is also now an accepted member of the covert. Not exactly a half a minute, but I was just under a minute. Hey, it was a 53 minute episode and you did it right out <laughs> of a minute. I mean, seconds. come on. Yeah, yeah, it's a second, a second per minute. Like that's pretty good. Well, and I, I got to say too that to your point, I was so tired um, watching this last night. It's been a long week, long couple weeks, and I I text you the picture of how I have like I've said this before. I turn off all the lights and I make it like a movie theater type experience. And I think that actually hurt me last night because <laughs> I I also was tired and I had a lot of cleaning up to do of this little rundown when I came to it this evening, cause I had some typos, I had words I didn't even recognize. Um, but I think the fact that that rundown just took a full minute, it goes to show that there was a lot that happened in this episode. I was not a huge fan of this episode. Um, it wasn't my favorite like you. I loved the Andorification of Mando in this episode, which I think is, you know, I don't know if we're going to compare everything to Andor at this point, but that idea of it being just, um, I think you used the word gritty was kind of cool. Like yeah. that just minute by minute showcasing of the plot being developed. But, and it also reminded me in this way, if I watched better call Saul where the show was not so much about the action or the flash or any of that, it was about, okay, but what's happening right now and how does this fit into the grander picture? And I think that's what this episode focused on and did very well. Well, I think they season one, season two, started this big story arc with why was Grogu or why is Grogu so important yeah. in this whole universe? And why is he being pursued by all these different people? Well, now it's starting to pay off a little bit. And and I hate to say like Andor has set the tone for Star Wars right now. And it, it was such a well-developed show that everyone's saying, all right, there's the bar. And everything else has to be either at that bar or above it. And with this episode, compared to Andor, Andor showed how the Empire was now starting off and how they were treating the citizens badly. They were just taking them off the street randomly and they were putting them in prison and they were making them work or whatever. But now you see the flip side of it. You're seeing how the new Republic Mm. is treating the remnants of the empire and the loyalists to the empire and how it is, how they're treated so much differently compared to how the empire treated citizens. The new Republic are treating the empire workers or or members so much better. And they're calling it the, the amnesty. And so it was such a great take on it. That was a mirror image between Andor and the Mandalorian. And I love the comparison without making a comparison. Look at you putting on your literary hat. That was good. I didn't think about that. 
that was actually, I mean, I can kind of get to it now. That was one of my ass beefs was what is amnesty. But I think they, I don't know if that was established or they just sort of relied on you figuring that out in the moment that it is this sort of rehabilitation project for people who used to work for the empire. And now they're obviously no longer able to, because the empire has fallen. Luke has defeated the empire. And so now they've got these folks who need to find their place in this greater galaxy without the empire as their director, I guess. And see, that's why I thought this episode was so intriguing to me was that I've always wondered what happens after Return of the Jedi. Right. The Empire has fallen. What has happened now? I know there are some comics out there. There's some novels out there. But this is actual like mainstream Star Wars now. They're bringing that storyline into it. So how did, how did the New Republic become the New Republic? What happens to the leftovers of the, of the Empire? And now we're actually seeing that in live action. And it's now starting to make sense. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a great point too. That they're they sort of organically waited for the opportunity to tell us what happened after Return of the Jedi. I haven't I haven't pondered it too much, but yeah, I'm with you that I've had the thought of like, okay, so everybody's celebrating on what's the, what's the planet? It's not coming to me with the little. Of course not. No, no, no. Where are they celebrating at the end of Return of the Jedi? Endor. Endor. There you go. Uh, when they're celebrating on Endor, it's like, okay, great, but what comes next? And I think, you know, we had some news recently in return in, in terms of Marvel and Star Wars where they're like, okay, whoa, slow down, hold up. We're not going to push stuff as fast. We're going to slow down with what we're releasing. And we're not going to maybe release a Star Wars movie as frequently as we have, which if you think about it, it's kind of perfect because Return of the Jedi was what, 80? 80, 83. That's what I was going to say, 83. So 83, and we waited literally 40 years to get what happened after Return of the Jedi, after the celebration on Endor. Now we're seeing what happened to the galaxy at large. And that's just really attentive, brilliant mindfulness to the storytelling and to the greater canon at large. Well, what's interesting is that the original trilogy never mentioned Coruscant at all. There was no talk mm-hmm. about it. Like no one even knew Coruscant existed until the prequels. And then that was the center of the galaxy. Even though in this episode, they said that Coruscant is not exactly the center of the galaxy, but it is the hub. It's where yeah. everything extends from. It's the center. And then the galaxy extends from there, all the politics and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to see, how they've taken the prequels and Coruscant being in the prequels and now is being adjusted after the original trilogy before you set up the resistance and the new order. And I'm wondering if they're going to tease how the resistance is starting and how um, the new order has started within the next couple of series that they're going to use with the skeleton crew and Ahsoka and all these other spinoffs they are doing, that's part of the Mandoverse. So I'm curious to see how they play that out. And that's why I was so intrigued. This is where some of my naivete with Star Wars comes in. All right, so just connecting everything, because we've already talked about Return of the Jedi and or the prequel trilogy with Coruscant introduced. The Resistance is Rey and all those guys 
in the sequel trilogy and the new order is Palpatine revived, right? Yeah. The new order okay. is um, Kylo Ren, General Hux, yeah. uh, Captain Plasma. And okay. the resistance, like you said, was Ray. It's Poe Dameron. And Finn joins them later on all that. That's right. Yeah. See, this is where Jedi apprentice <laughs> when it comes to the Star Wars knowledge. Well, which here's, oh, here's a little Easter egg for you is the scene where Dr. Pishin like opens up and he's given that speech in that big right. house. That is the opera house where Palpatine and seduced Anakin. And they had that like opera going on in the background. It was that rear, like looked like mystic or like underwater type scene. In, Are you talking uh, about, is this in uh, Attack Revenge of the Clones? Sith. No, oh, Revenge of the Sith. Sith. And like yeah. Anakin has been sent to spy on Palpatine. And Palpatine's like, I want to have you spy on the Jedi. That whole oh, scene yeah. where they had that conversation was in the opera house. And now they've paid it forward again by having Dr. Piercing speak in front of all of Coruscant at the same location. We've made it 12 minutes. I feel like this can be where we start bragging on Filoni and Favreau again. Because I saw something just before we got on about uh, how they're just soaking it up and loving producing the series. And we've mentioned before how they don't really care to end this show ever or end their work within the Star Wars universe. And they're, again, that attention to detail, them being like, hey, you know where we can have Pershing introduced in Mandalorian season three after two seasons away? Let's put him in Coruscant bring that into the Mando universe. And also let's put him in, as you said, the opera house, which I did recognize. I just couldn't place from where it's, it's really thoughtful, attentive uh, design behind the show. And it's the whole episode. Part of the reason I did not dislike it as much as I maybe could have, because it wasn't your typical Mando is I think how spectacular the whole episode just looked on a you know like a holistic level it was really cool to still watch even if the action wasn't as fast paced right like the scene where they went go to the star destroyer we see what happens to all of the star destroyers like, that was great they have a, a shipyard basically and they're just housing them right now to empty them out whatever and i think that's why like spoiler alert like kane betrays pershing because he knew where, where to go and what to take off. So I think that storyline with, with Kane oh, yeah. taking the supplies is going to pay off later on. Um, and I'm curious to see what happens with Pershing because I don't think we're going to, that's the last that we've seen of him. And I, I think there's two ways. We, I think there's two ways we, we could go with that character. Either they brainwashed them all together and they're mm-hmm. like, all right, we, he's a loose cannon right now. He's, telling the whole world, the whole galaxy about cloning. We don't need that out in the public because we're trying to secretly clone the emperor or they're having to brainwash him in a certain way. And he's going to realign his allegiance to the empire again. And he's going to be become an agent of the empire and continue his work under or behind closed doors. I just going back a minute, I did think the little like you've been to the dump, I'm sure. And having the little dump of all the Imperial stuff was I don't know, man, that was 
that was cool. I it was kind of neat to see that that they had this space where they're throwing all this old crap from the Empire, and then you see one of those Star Destroyers. Okay, so you don't think you you think Pershing's not done? No, he's. I think he's too important of a character to be done with in just this little forty-five minute span. They 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 teased him in season one. He was one that came in with a client and was testing Grogu. Yeah. And then uh, Moff Gideon had him doing his project on the uh, at the base on Navarro. Mm. So I think there this character is so important because he was taught directly from the Kaminians or Kaminos with the with the clone with the clone troopers cloning with Jango Fett and all that. He learned from them, and now he's going to take that science because that was the whole point of his speech. It was he's showing how he's going to splice the DNA. And I think that's how they started the remnants of how the Emperor is going to be cloned later on. And how it's like Snoke is going to come about because he's apparently a clone oh. of Emperor and of uh, Palpatine and all that. Okay. See, I had a different thought because I thought, I thought that's it. I thought we're done with Pershing. My thinking was we've upgraded and we've gone from Pershing to this evil Aliyah Kane who basically just used Pershing to get to the tech and now she has sufficiently brainwashed him into mush so that he is totally rendered incapacitated from this point forward. And she is now kind of like superseding him in terms of terrible person who wants to advance the empire's cloning. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but they're they're wanting to clone, but I did like how you just, touch that up for me there because I was thinking like okay we've already seen Clone Wars we've already seen everything with the clones with Jango and everything but okay so that's where we're getting this is how Snoke is created is essentially what you're thinking right like Snoke was a failed attempt at cloning the, the Emperor Palpatine and I think Palpatine used him as a diversion so he could continue creating his Sith um franchise or what I'm called the Sith franchise for the rise of Skywalker. I think that Kane is an agent of either Palpatine directly or the empire. And I think she is like, she, everyone has a boss. Let's put it that way. I think her boss is either Palpatine or somebody or it's Moff Gideon. And that's where, yeah, I kind of thought that Gideon's not, he's not gone. No, he's not gone because they even talked about how he escaped from the tribunal that he was going to face. So they're eluding that he's floating out there somewhere. And so how are they going to bring him back into the mix? Because I don't think that's – we haven't seen the last of him either. And I think he's going to go after the Darksaber again. So it could be that Cain, Eliah Cain, was sent from Moff Gideon's ship and she is – amnestying herself and she's trying to become a better citizen and going through that procedure and sitting down with that weird robot that was basically like a parole officer checking in on these guys all the time. Basically like, are you having any thoughts about the empire sort of checking in on them? And she's maybe doing a ploy to where she is done with that life, but really she's been sent by Gideon to kind of reboot his grand plan. Right. I think that you hit it right on the head. I think that 
she is a double agent right now. And she certainly for- she certainly double crossed uh poor Pershing. You kind of felt for him. That was and that's part of the show, is that's kind of cool that like I felt bad for him. Like he's not this great dude. They haven't built him up to be a good Agreed. character. But I felt bad when he got like savagely double crossed by Kane. Yeah, because I mean he was he was already scared about the process. And then they're like, Oh, it's okay. You're gonna feel nothing. It's gonna be feel magical and all that. And then you just see her reach over and just turn that knob all the way up till it turns red. And you start seeing his brain being fried, basically. That was brutal, man. That was kind of tough to watch. I'm glad they didn't make it like, you know, going back, speaking about Andor, the uh, Bix, the the punishment that Bix endured in Andor, that was kind of tough to watch. So I'm glad they didn't really go back to that. No, because I... I can't remember who Andor is like the showrunner for that one is, but I think Dave Filoni and Big John, they, they're kind of more kid friendly versus I think what Andor was and what I think the skeleton crew will be. I think they're a lot more, a darker star Wars series. Yeah. Tony Gilroy being the guy for Andor. Who's that's right. I think he, he wants to bring that, that adult element that, that thriller, that horror aspect of it. And I think Dave Filoni and John, Big John, are, they're going to keep it more kid friendly because I know I can't say his last name very well. I, no, I like you calling him Big John. That's fine. I've appreciated that you call him that. I, I've, I've always been a big fan of him, like ever since Swingers. I saw the movie Swingers. I followed his career over the last couple of decades. And now he is where I would love to be. Like, I would yeah. love to be a showrunner running Star Wars. I'm so glad I'm not him, though, because I don't know that I would, you know, I, we chat every week and you provide some, filling in some gaps of things that I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to be as creative with the show, maybe not being as plugged in, certainly not having the resources that they have in the position that they're in currently, but their creativity with, the things that they designed for this show, like even today. So I was going to point this out to you, the, the creativity to, we talked about it last week, not having Bo take off her helmet last week, when she saw the mythosaur that, that little attention to detail. I saw an interview with Kate uh, Sackoff who plays Bo. And she said, she really likes not having her helmet off. She actually likes having it on because then she focuses on other ways as an actress to convey emotion and feeling which she can't get across with her face. And that I got to believe that's something that those two fellows at the forefront decided, Hey, you know what? In that scene. And in many cases, these guys, even though we do have the luxury of taking helmets off, it's our show. We can do whatever we can make Din take his off once. We're not going to have him take it off again because that ruins the authenticity of Mandalorian. That's what, you bring up a great point because I love the fact that I think Bo is being played by one actress, except for maybe this, the stunts they have to do. Right. But the Mandalorian, Din Djarin is played by three different actors oh, because Pedro Pascal is like so busy. Cause he's such in high demand with all everything he's doing from, and he's so good. Yeah. Yeah. From wonder woman to the last of us. And now in the Mandalorian, He's rare. I think what I've read is he's rarely on set anymore. 
he might do a voiceover. That might not even be his real voice. That might be someone else voicing in. Oh, don't say that. It's got to be his voice. That's the one last thing we got to hold on to. I agree. But, I mean, I I read some back, like, the the behind-the-scenes type thing where he's rarely on set, especially for this third season, because he's in such high demand. So they've used all these other stunt doubles that's in the suit, which makes perfect sense because you can't – you don't have to see his face. It's just a a man in a suit right now in a helmet. And – I hate that because he's getting such high uh, regards for his acting on in the show and he's not really acting and I hate to put him down. I'm not trying to put him down because he, no, that's it. You are putting him down. Oh, great. This is how we blow up. Wilson's taking shots at Pedro Pascal. (laughs) I'm not trying to take shots. I'm just being realistic, but like you have to give these other unknown actors credit for what they're doing to bring the character alive. And I love that Kate is being authentic with what she's saying, that she has to use her other acting abilities to portray emotions and bring her character even more so. Because originally she was behind a microphone and no one saw Mm -hmm. her face or anything else. It was just through her, her voice that she had to expose emotions. And now she's able to play out that character. Yeah, kind of. kind of blossomed in that way it makes me i did actually have this thought now that you mention it watching this week's episode with um the way that that din walks he's got a very discernible kind of swagger kind of a gait that a you know like the old western gait very self-poised controlled and it made me think that you know pedro pascal was the guy in the suit at the beginning and for some amount of time that whoever has become his underling and studied him did a fantastic job of studying him because it it still appears as if it is Pedro Pascal, which again kind of speaks to the whole ethos of the character. It doesn't seem like for as many changes have as have gone on behind the scenes, it's still Din. It's still the same exact character from four years ago, for better or worse. Right. Now, we got to talk about the opening sequence now that we're talking about Din Djarin and, and Bo Oh, dude, that the one piece of action that this episode has that fighter scene when they're being chased by the TIE fighters and he, when he jumped out of Bo's ship, that was sick. Like he, I, he, he fell through the flight path of several TIE fighters, TIE interceptors. Uh, he barely missed them, which was mind blowing. I was losing my mind. You can ask Tori. I was like, Tori, Tori. Like that was, that was when you were awake. Them. That was when yes. you were awake. Because it was the beginning gotta, of the episode. Come on. Well, I got to. I got to be honest. That was. I was sort of in the lull of. I was. I was so tired even starting the episode, that. That part kind of woke me up, but it was when he falls out of the ship. That was like, I had to think for a second. Okay, wait a second. I. I, I must still be waking up because he's preparing. He's like, send me out, and there's nothing for him to fall into. There's nothing for him to. I. I had to like reconcile with what exactly is he doing. And he was. He's just like, I'm going to float down from, from the stratosphere and then use my jetpack when I'm close. It was That was really cool. Well, that's like when they were talking about their plan about how he was going to get to his his plane, his, his ship, I was like, is she going to do like just a quick like Top Gun type flight deck, like drop and then go back, take off, back off? But he, no, she's going to still be in the air and he's just going <laughs> to free fall. And use his jetpack to softly land near his ship, hop in real quick, and then take off. And, and that's then what the, immediate, 
and then immediately right. get in the ship and yeah. start taking and that that's the Naboo fire. Like that's what we saw in the Phantom Menace and how Anakin just takes off like as a 11 year old boy, eight year old boy and starts fighting, um, whatever was it? The, uh, blockade. But now we see Din Djarin taking off and just murdering Tai interceptors. Like he was just picking off one by one. That and was Bo-Katan's sick. flying. Bo-Katan's flying too how she was able to like stop midair and change direction like there was it was a magical opening scene sequence like it was, i was just enthralled with it i was like this is gonna be a great episode and yeah then you had this big lull and this whole side plot but that was a great opening sequence well but the head fake that they give you to pull you in with that and draw you in and hook you in that way and then they jump into hyperspace and then they cut to the to the opening music in the montage and you're hooked, you're ready to rock with another episode. And then it, it goes to Coruscant and you think, Oh wow. You know, crazy. He said, we're going to go somewhere that nobody will find us. That's interesting that he would choose Coruscant and they really have you kind of suckered in there for, they had me at least for, right. uh, I don't know, anywhere from like 90 seconds to three minutes where you're trying to wonder, okay, so where are they in Coruscant? What's, what's going on here? And right. Nope. They, Totally different plot line going on over here in a very different part of a galaxy far, far away. And I feel like they've done that with each episode. They've misdirected the whole episode by cutting in and out and doing the different storylines, which is great because it it pulls you into the episode even more. Yeah. Um, so who did you have as, or who or what did you have as, I don't, I can't remember what I'm calling this, best part of the episode, MVP of the episode? All right, so, oh, all right, you, you got that dog fight. The dog fight was mm-hmm. incredible. I love that. Bo-Katan keeping the Mythosaur still a secret. Like, nobody knows about the Mythosaur mm-hmm. until, except for Bo-Katan. She won't let that cat out of the bag yet. She played real subtly with that. Yeah. Um, Which I think we talked about last week. We mentioned, we're like, okay, what do we think? Is she actually going to tell him? Is she going to, and I think you nailed that. And you said she's going to kind of question him and see what he saw to really be able to determine that I see something. Did you see it too? And if I just saw it, what does that mean? If we both saw it, what does that mean? I think you called that. But this episode, she was kind of baiting him to see if he actually saw it. And since he said, no, I didn't see anything. And she's like, all right. She was like, not me either. This is going to be my ace in my pocket. I'm going to keep this in my back pocket until I need it. And then well, and it's if- it certainly worked out for her favor that she gets to the end. And the armor is like, oh, hey, have you taken your helmet off since being out of the waters? No. Okay, cool. Obviously, we get to the title here of the convert. The convert is Bo. And, and she has been converted back to the children of the watch. Well, there's several meanings for that. You got you got Din Djarin being a convert because he's now been redeemed because of the living mm. waters. You have... Bo-Katan. You also have um, Piercing. Yeah. Because he's I guess a couple different meanings. And then you, I, I'll tell you, even say Kane, Agent Kane. She's evil, man. I So I think probably MVP of the episode, I thought was, I'm going to butcher these names, but I thought the actors that played Pershing and Kane, Omid, about, Omid Abtahi and yeah. Katie M. O'Brien, just throwing some credit their way because I thought what those two brought to their 
respective roles. Pershing brought this kind of squirrely, like sort of semi-confident, but new to his surroundings guy trying to revive his old life. Kane, very subtly a backstabbing double crosser who maybe has some grander motive in mind. I think they were, obviously they got the most screen time, but I think they were the best part of the episode. I think Kane takes the MVP. Because yeah. you thought that she was just a, a friendly like face. All right, so we were part of the Empire. We were under Moff Gideon's uh, reign. And I'm going to take you on, under my wing and show you the ropes. And we're going to go to the Star Destroyer. We're going to get your things or you can continue your project. So evil. And then such a huge setup. Like, I loved it. I was not expecting that. I think I kind of figured it out once they got to the Star Destroyer and he was looking. I was like, mm, there's a chance. But up until then, I didn't, yeah, I knew that something was going to happen because there was all these noises and the lights or whatever. I was like, what's going on? But I never thought in a million years that she was going to betray him. Yeah, that was, that was pretty rotten. Well, as we go Easter egg hunting, uh, I'm going to turn the tables on you because I actually caught an Easter egg this episode and I felt pretty proud of myself for it. So I don't remember who's, huh? Indulge me. Is it Admiral Akbar? Yes. 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 No, 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 no. Come on. All right. Oh, no. In, um, sorry. Force, no, uh, not Force Awakens. What's, um, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. I'm Mm. I'm in the right trilogy now, right? Mm. Yes, you're in the right trilogy. Wrong movie. All right, just tell me. I don't want to go 0 for 3. Return of the Jedi. Okay, that was my next guest. So Return of the Jedi, and he says, it's a trap, right? Yes. Okay, so in this episode, we do have an Akbar-looking individual creature, and there's a reference to a trap. Kamarians. Yeah. So, I, there you go. Call one. Yeah, that was... They, like That's what like, I love about the genius behind the writing. Because they they know that our fan, the fan base of Star Wars, they want to have that nostalgic feeling. So they just have all these like Easter eggs and callbacks to just one-liners. It doesn't even have to be a grand gesture. It's just little subtle things here and there. And even if some dope screws up four attempts at the right movie from the original reference, like I'm wise enough to know that came from somewhere. They didn't just originally come up with that for this episode. They thought that would be clever to include in this episode. And I, I, I hope I'm not coming across like condescending when I like call y'all. Oh, no, no, you're not. I know you know way more than I do. That's why we get together for this because I like, well, I like having the be able to have that conversation about the episode and to be filled in to be able to grasp more knowledge going into the next episode. I gotta, I gotta drop this little antidote real quick because I think it is mm-hmm. funny and it sets the stage of how of a big Star Wars nerd I really am. All right, so go back to 1996. Okay, all this right, I was four. This is between <laughs> four years old. All right, <laughs> before this was after the original trilogy and before the release of the uh, prequels. George Lucas decided, all right, to get everybody hyped up and jazzed up for the prequels. I'm going to re-release the original trilogy Mm. in theaters with the new uh, special effects and all that. 
So he releases, I think, one a year. It might have been every one, one every six months or something. I'm 16 years old in my prime high school age or whatever. <laughs> I'm starting to explore the dating world. So I decide I'm going to ask this girl out on a date. Well, the date entails taking her to the re-release of Empire Strikes Back. Wow. That, do I need to, that do poor I need to... girl... <laughs> <laughs> she had to listen to that movie. Do I need to cut that? Do we need to cut that, Satori? Uh, just keep it on the DL. Hurt your no, date with some some other knows. girl. Empire Strikes Back at sixteen. I'm sure it's a real prominent event in your. Uh, no, in your Tori forma- knows all your formative about years. Because this is how embarrassing it is. I went. I take her to the movie, and then I take her out to the only steakhouse in my hometown. Because my hometown <laughs> is a is a hole in the wall place. Just a rural community, or whatever. So we go to the steakhouse. We sit down at a table. Guess who's sitting behind us? On George my first Lucas. Date with us? No. <laughs> my whole entire family. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. Everybody's sitting there. And my brother's three years younger than me. So he's like peering over the booth, like giggling and laughing and pointing that I'm on a date and all this stuff. Just being a ridiculous younger brother. And so, like, that's, great. that's that's how of a big Star Wars fan I am. I'm gonna risk the future, like, dating world by taking this poor girl to see Empire Strikes <laughs> Back, which she had no interest in seeing. But I'm like, oh my gosh, it is like the iconic movie of the '80s, and I get to see it in theatrical release. <laughs> I'm picturing that conversation in my head. You're like, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? And she's like, cool, yeah. Where can we go? And you're like. Well, I'm going to see The Empire Strikes Back. You're welcome to like tag along if you would like. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the thing to do was the only place to hang out was at the movie theater. <clears throat> Little did she know that I'm taking her to the biggest geek fest ever of seeing the release of Star Wars. That's great. Yeah, that was a good little anecdote. That's a good story time. Well, I, I don't even know how to transition from that, to, but I did want to ask you because right. I, I have a thought for – when we get to our last thoughts and predictions going forward after this one, what is this episode three? Episode How many we got? Three. Eight, eight total. So next week is the like mid season. Next week, halftime. Yeah. So we got to come on big the mid season like break, you know? Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like by about the mid to two third mark of the fifth episode, we're really gonna have some stuff going down, whatever it is. I think there's going to be a big cliffhanger in this next episode. At the end of the next one? Okay, so any, any yeah. predictions on that? Well, there's there's a lot of loose ends we got to start exploring. Like, what's going to happen with Din Djarin and Grogu and Bo-Katan? Um, is Bo-Katan going to stay with the Creed? Is she going to keep her helmet on? Is she actually buying into yes. all this nonsense? And I mean, where else does she have to go right now? Because her her castle got bombed. She has nowhere else to go. Mm. That's why she's buying True. into it right now. But she's also thinking there might be some truth behind it because the mythosaur is true. Like all this stuff that they've been talking about. Maybe there's some truth behind it. Maybe I need to do this. Dude, so I that way in. I can win my, my people. I think she's in. I I don't think she's fully in right now. 
Like, I think she's doing this to buy time because I think she has to pay her dues to earn the respect of the Mandalorians so that she can be the rightful leader. But then I think she's going to go back to her, her old ways because she's more comfortable that way. Let me ask you, what percent in do you think she is with the Children of the Watch? I think she's like 97% in. I think there's still like that little twinge of, eh, but I think she's pretty pretty in with the whole haven't seen the Mythosaur, helmet is on, she's been redeemed. I think it's less than that. I think that she, she I think she's torn right now. So I, I, I would say 70, 75% that she's in. She has that's nowhere still else high, to that's, go. That's a high percent though. So you, you're leaning more to in than out. I Yes. But I think that there's room enough that, that she once she can find her her little place that she can take control of things or that she can um, challenge Din Djarin for the Darksaber or that she can prove herself to the people that she is the rightful leader, she's going to take that chance, that opportunity, and prove herself because she has been just drastically... Um, condemned her entire life. She has not been able to be the leader that she thought she should be. Well, like I said, I, I think she's been redeemed. I, but I also came out of this episode. I didn't even have a thought with, um, with Bo-Katan and what I expected from her going forward. I literally, I wanted to include it cause we included each week, but when it comes to last thoughts, predictions, I have none. I do not have one right now. I mean, last thoughts, obviously, what you, what you thought of the show. But in terms of predictions going forward, I don't have one. I, I cannot think of anything. I can't think of any characters I foresee coming up. I can't think of any situations because now they've thrown me for a loop with this kind of secondary plot with Pershing and Kane that I think is going to become a bigger plot point. So I don't know how that's going to affect Mando. I'm... I almost am more of a blank slate right now than I am than I was at the beginning of the season. I think that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to incredible throw everybody time. off. Yeah, incredible. And I think that they've been teasing Moff Gideon, and I think he's going to have to make a return or even a glimpse of a return going into this fourth episode because he is, I think, still the big baddie of this season. Hmm. I've, I've I been convinced been... away from armor. I don't think that's it anymore. See, I, I told you, I told yeah, you, you're, you're not, right on that one. She's not the big baddie. I think she was just an antagonist that was just trying to say, Dindarn, you've got to do this. You got to do that to, to redeem yourself. But I don't think she's the big baddie. I think Moff Gideon is, or there might be someone like Kane is now being teased as a, as I say, I think, that's what I thought. I thought I thought Pershing has been wiped off the board. If it's not Kane, it's it's got to be Gideon. And I think we've moved from in my mind from uh, the armor to and not not Bo-Katan, not the armor, not even Pershing. I think we're looking at Kane, and if not Kane, Gideon. I think those are our two options. Yeah. Now, I I can't I can't let this podcast go without talking about Grogu and how he reacted to the dogfight. Like he sensed that there was trouble. And what did he do? He closed his little capsule. Like he hit 
<laughs> and he just he stayed hidden until it was clear. And that was just so funny that he just like pushed a little button and it closed up and you didn't see him again until they started doing the the G force and like you could kind of see him floating around a little bit. But other than that, he just stayed hidden. So he was not a major player in this episode, but it was just a very like little comical relief of how he was reacting to the Empire striking against uh, Bo-Katan and her, her home world. The Empire striking back. One could say. Yes. I thought yes. that's what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Grogu. We didn't get a ton of him this episode, but what we got was always appreciated. Well, it's, you convinced me. I, I came on the night. I was like, eh, I don't know. Yes, it had some good qualities, kind of Andorish, but right. I think you convinced me, got me psyched up for whatever's coming next. I just think Not- that Dave Filoni and, and, and Big John, Big they John. keep just. They keep us on the line. They, they <laughs> keep teasing us a little bit and they throw us for a loop every episode. I'll just, I love it. Like I, I can't, like this whole past week, I've been like so excited for Wednesday night to watch the episode and then Thursday night to talk to you about it. Man. So are we going to, we, we got a, our spring break is next week. We, we may have the opportunity to do this live right after, depending on how early the two of us can watch and oh. we'll have to, we'll have to chat about that one. Yeah, I, I, I kind of can't imagine what that would that would be like if we watch this and then immediately we're like, "All right, fired up, let's go." Yeah, that. The only thing is, our kids—they're going to get in the way. We, like we have to yeah. wait until after bedtime, <laughs> so it might have yeah, to be. That's a, true. It could be a Wednesday night type of recording. Yeah, or, or early Thursday or something. Yeah, but uh, I'm with you. We'll see what what Filoni and and Big John have for us next week. It's got to have all these characters that we love and. We'll be looking forward to it again for next week. I think it's going to be a big episode being the, the mid-season episode. Well, we shall see. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir. I have spoken. I have spoken.